0: Welcome to the genesischurch.tv podcast with Scott Hunter. I'm your host, lead pastor of Genesis Church, Scott Hunter. Today is a rebroadcast of week three of our current series called Unshaken, the book of Daniel. I pray this brings you hope and encouragement as we fight similar battles that Daniel faced. Thanks for tuning in. We are in Unshaken week three here, and we're talking about about the book of Daniel. We're basically going chapter by chapter, breaking it down. I'm picking six chapters which I think really and truly deal with our current culture and the state in which we live. So today we're going to look at Daniel chapter 5. If you want to open up your Bibles or your apps, go ahead and do that now and open up to Daniel chapter 5. Where we are at and picking up in this story is 539 BC. So Daniel, when he was taken into captivity into Babylon, he was 18, right? So Now, we see that he is an old man. So at best guess, Daniel is around his 80s. uh, But Daniel, like all of us, grow older. And we notice that gravity takes a toll on our body uh, more than others, right? (laughs) Yet Daniel is still standing. He might be 80, but he's still smiling. And he's still praying. And he's still prophesying. See, there's this kind of power that is often overlooked in our culture, it's underappreciated in our world, it doesn't get talked about much, but it is called staying power. We think right here, right now, instantaneous, like give it to me on an app and it better work and there better be great Wi-Fi, right? That's what we think, but God is thinking in generations. God is thinking in nations. We think that what God does for us is really just for us, but it's really never just for us, it's really for that that third and that fourth generation so that you are blessed and that you become a blessing to that person and to that person and your kids and your grandkids, right? So staying power is, is long obedience moving in the same direction. Staying power is long obedience, long faithfulness, moving in God's direction, not swerving to the right, not going to the left. See, we've been talking about how we, we, we're, we're wanting God to raise up a generation of, That will be Deborah's and Nehemiah's and Esther's and Daniel's. But as much as we we lift up Gen Z and Gen Alpha and we empower you and we elevate and we, we encourage your generation, I think on the flip side, a lot of times we ignore who we need to lean on the most. So today I want to honor our older generations. Because... They get what long obedience looks like, what faithfulness to God through the years looks like. Leviticus 19.32 says, stand up in the presence of the elderly and show respect for the age. See, we live in a culture that, like, celebrate 15 minutes or right now even 15 seconds of fame because everybody thinks they're TikTok famous, right? But God celebrates a lifetime of faithfulness. That's a word for Somebody. Today, you need to hear that you're not past your prime. You are not forgotten. You are not taken for granted. We need you. We love you. We honor you. You are invaluable. You are irreplaceable to our church. And for the plans and the purposes of God, I don't just honor you. I exhort you to keep standing like Daniel. You keep smiling. You keep praying. Oh, and you keep prophesying. Our church doesn't make it without you. Do you understand? that you're the backbone. You are the ones that show younger generation what faithfulness and grit and acts of service actually look like. Be blessed here today knowing that Genesis loves you and lifts you up. You are loved. All right, I wanna jump in to chapter five with you today. Like I said, it's at 539 BC. Daniel is an older man now. But even if he's been living in this culture for years and years, it's still not his own. So he's the odd man out. But staying power means long obedience. So uh, admins may go, like so kingdoms may fall. People of God, though, don't, don't falter, don't move. They, they keep calm and carry on. Listen, Nebuchadnezzar sat on his throne, but Daniel got next to a bed and prayed his guts out. Nebuchadnezzar had privilege all day long, but Daniel had the power to shut the mouths of lions. Nebuchadnezzar might have had a title, but Daniel had a testimony, and testimony is prophecy. And that's why when we get older, your prophecy, your testimony matters, because you can look back and say, God was there, God was there, God moved here, God had my back in this situation. God is faithful. You can look back on the faithfulness of God. So as you get older, your faith gets stronger because you believe he did it once and he can and will do it again. I hope you are encouraged from the outset of this music, this worship today, to this prayer, to this moment. I'm telling you, God is setting some of you up today to be radically shaken. Let's look at verse one. This is a crazy story. So there's a new king, King Belshazzar. Gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. So I'm gonna throw up some facts for you up front. Many skeptics and critics of 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 the evidence that the that the Bible is like biblically accurate, that it is historical accurate, they say that it is inaccurate because they cannot find this king because there is no evidence of anyone named Belshazzar. That is until 1854 A.D. Sir Henry. Rawlinson, a brilliant historian, discovered and deciphered an ancient cuneiform. So that's basically a logo syllabic, script that you see up here. Show that pic for me, Lindsay. And it names Belshazzar as the oldest son of King Nebonius. Sure enough, these people reigned as co-agents, two kings at the same time. That's why verse 29 says that Daniel was not the second ruler anymore. He was the third ruler the lord is never wrong the bible was always accurate just because we as human humans and like humanity doesn't figure it out for a while do you understand that the bible is never inaccurate when it even comes to science like god never said the world was flat when you look at scripture it never contradicts the laws of nature because god set those laws up before we ever understood what they were so look at the Bible through that lens, and I promise you, it'll shock you. It means what it says, and it says what it means. So Belshazzar comes on the scene, a true life story, and he makes a really quick cameo, right? But I will say his ego, uh, someone straight up died in the mirror. All right. So he had this ego like, like Nebuchadnezzar had an ego, right? So when Nebuchadnezzar showed up, He was this here am I kind of person, like you walk in the room and you know those kind of people, right? They kind of like suck all the energy out and they need everybody to look at them and and that's Belshazzar in this moment. But let me flip the coin too. There are also people that aren't the here am I kind of people, but what we are calling I think really servant leaders that they're like, oh, there you are, or there you are, there you are, like they're the there you are people, right? So what kind of person are you? Are you the here am I or are you, well, here you are kind of person? Like, I really believe that humility is needed in our culture today. So let me add one more puzzle piece to this conversation. The night that Belshazzar throws this rager, uh, Babylon is under siege by the Persians. But he's like, let's throw a party anyways, right? Okay, so who throws a party when the enemy is knocking at your front door? I'll tell you, somebody who thinks that they are invincible. The city walls that surrounded Babylon were 320 feet tall high can you can you imagine like these big tall walls are like 25 feet top those with 300 plus right that's insane then they were 80 feet wide they were 56 miles long and inside the encampment here they had enough provisions to last them for 20 years this is why he thought he was totally invincible and they built it around where the euphrates river ran smack dab through the city they thought they had 20 years on the clock Spoiler alert, that night the Persians dug a canal, they diverted the Euphrates to go that way, and all the people marched underneath the big pit and came up inside the city. Pretty crazy. Pride comes before a great fall, exhibit A. So he's loading up on wine, and he is someone uh, that is not paying attention that someone's straight up digging a canal uh, and marching a bunch of people in to kill everyone. I don't know anybody that gets smarter as the more and the more that they drink and that their faculties make them like more intelligent uh, when they are drunk, but it's not, it's not a thing. So while he is plastered, he gets this great idea, um, stupid is as stupid does, he is going to have a wine tasting, and so he commands his people to go get the gold and silver vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the Holy of Holies from Jerusalem's temple so that they could drink some wine from it. So it says that he brought it to him his lords, his wives, his concubines, his hookers, so that they all might drink with them. Right, Rut row, bad idea, messing with holy relics. Apparently, he has never seen Indiana Jones movies ever. Gonna die. All right, Daniel five four. Check this out. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze and iron and wood and stone, with the things that God had called holy from the holy of And they raised the toast with their last red solo cup. And this is what happened. Daniel 5, 5 through 6. Suddenly, fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster on the wall near the lampstand of the royal palace. And the king watched as it wrote. And then his face turned pale and he was frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Belshazzar sees this disembodied hand just start like graffitiing up straight up this wall with the words... Many, many tackle a parson. Now, I'm not sure if anybody has ever sobered up so quickly as the king did in that moment, but he called all of his wise men, all of his soothsayers, and they could not interpret what was being written on the wall. And so then I love this. like just I love the way the Holy Spirit works. just happens to jog the memory of his mother, right? And she's like, oh, I remember this old guy now. He used to do these crazy things like shut lion's mouth. You should go get this guy named Daniel. Four kings have come and gone. But don't you put a period where God has a comma for your life. If you are not dead, you are not done. And Daniel is once again remembered and called upon. So I see Daniel being like, straight up got the limp coming in, and but he might have lost a little pep in his step, but he's got that twinkle in his eye, and he's got that Holy Spirit fire moving in his belly. King Belshazzar says, now I have heard Daniel that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems if you could read this writing and tell me what it means you will be clothed in purple a sign of royalty and have a gold chain placed around your neck a sign of flavor of faith and you will be made the highest ruler number 3 in the kingdom Again it goes back to what was said in the inscription God's never wrong listen don't we need that kind of anointing right now to come in and have some Holy Spirit insight and to solve some messes in our world? We are facing insurmountable problems right now, but can I encourage you that solutions are still a thing, okay? And they can come out of the most unassuming places. Let me show you how this worked in America. I love this story of George Washington Carver. Show his pickup here. Totally unassuming man. Super awesome mustache, okay? Okay. But this guy ranks as one of the most intelligent, gifted, scientific minds of the 20th century. So at the turn of the 20th century, agricultural, like, the economy of all of that was in the south with, with cotton, and it was just going down fast because this weird thing that looks like a rat slash hedgehog, it's very odd looking, a bull weevil, right, started destroying all the cotton crops. They didn't know what to do. Because the soil was all getting depleted of nutrients, and then George Washington Carver says, "Guess what? I'm going to introduce to you this idea of crop rotation." And he said, "Plant peanuts." The peanuts did their job, man. They revived the soil, but the farmers were frustrated because they like, we got all these peanuts, right? Can't sell them to all the ball clubs in all the world and all the stadiums. We got so many peanuts, right? There was no market for them at the time, and so then they started complaining to Carver. Well, look what you've done. So Carver said. I'll pray about it and the guy got up at four o'clock in the morning day in and day out and began to pray his guts out and ask the lord for wisdom he walked through the woods and he loved the scripture job twelve seven. he prayed job 12 7. he lived job 12 7. here's what that scripture says ask the animals and they will teach you or the birds of the air and they will tell you or speak to the earth and it will teach you god was saying to carver listen i'm going to reveal some laws of nature that are not understood that could not come from human understanding and i'm going to give them to you and so god revealed a mystery of a peanut sounds stupid and insignificant no it was not he goes before the ways and the means committee of congress and guess what he mesmerized everybody he showed up and the lord gave him dozens and dozens of uses for the dumb ordinary peanut from glue to shaving cream to soap to insecticide, to cosmetics, to linoleum. It's even in your Worcestershire sauce, right? There you have it. But it was also this moment of, of Carver activating his spiritual gifts. We talked about this last week. We have to activate our spiritual gifts. And in this moment, God's giving him a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom that was God revealing to Carter, Carver. Insight that he could not have had on his own. Wisdom because he asked for it. I'm going to double-park the car right here, okay? We're in a season where we need to ask God to move and upgrade, upgrade our spiritual gifts. Lord, pour out in us, Lord, a new anointing ten times over what we've been using our gifts for, Lord, in our lives. The only way to do that is if you begin to open up your mouth and ask God for a new anointing, new insight, new spiritual gifts to be activated in your life. And it's happening because... I, this proves words of wisdom, words of knowledge works. I believe that God is also activating faith and healing in this time like we've never seen. It's happening with miracles in our church all the time. And I don't care how big or bad the problems seem or the big that society is like just throwing at us. Because as Christ followers who are filled with the power and the might of the Holy Spirit, Led by the Spirit of God, we are called to bring supernatural solutions to just regular natural problems. God's going to show up in your world if you will ask him to. You see, in James, Jesus' little brother tells us something that is one of my most favorite scriptures. He says, if you will ask for wisdom, I will give it to you holding nothing back. So Daniel does this stands before a scared king with a weird hand floating in the air riding on a wall and he taps into his spiritual gifting see daniel is operating the gifts of the spirit 700 years before those gifts were ever like even pinned because the spirit of god had not been poured out on everybody yet but it was he was all over daniel and in this moment we had talked last week about how daniel had the gift of discernment today i want to talk to you a little bit about what daniel had the gift of prophecy what that looks like and how you can have that too and how you can utilize that in your lives now if you will ask the Lord to give that to you. And I know you're thinking, oh, here we go. We're going to go with some crazy do 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 kind of stuff, right? Like the gift of prophecy sounds like mysterious and mystical, right? It's predicting the future. No. Let me bring this down to earth for you, okay? Because it's simply stated of what the gift of prophecy is for in this generation from your mouth to others, to do good. 1 Corinthians 14.3. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Leave that scripture up as I break this down, please, Lindsay. Number one, the Greek word strengthening. There, it's an architectural term, right? It's laying down the foundation. It's framing the walls. What that means for you and I, it's building other people up. That's why sometimes that word there gets translated as edification, building one up, not tearing someone down. Because prophecy is always about the best interest of somebody else. Even if it's calling out sin, it's, it's supposed to be life giving, it's saving someone, it's rescuing. Now, there are words, number two, of encouragement encouraging. Encouraging in the Greek is paraklesis. It sounds familiar for you ever here and you listen to me teach the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, it's Paraclete. So they're very, very close to meaning. But here in this moment, it is like the Holy Spirit anointing on what is called a military term. Periclesis means there are two soldiers standing back to back, fighting for one another. See, in a sense, that's what prophecy is like. You know, it is it, fighting a spiritual battle for someone who knows your life and who always has your back who's fighting for you in the times, yes, they're pointing out some blind spots that you might not see, that we don't see in ourselves, but I think it's also protecting our blind side and protecting the people that you love. Number three, finally, comfort. It's, it's speaking tenderly, it's, it's gentleness. I think tone matters so much. I think we've gotten so used to texting and that we hurt people's feelings and we don't even know because you can put as many stupid emojis that you want in there and be like, "Ha uh-huh, I'm kidding but you can't interpret tone, right? Don't ever have a sensitive conversation back and forth with a stupid text. It's just gonna blow up in your face. And we're so politically polarized right now, yet we're supposed to speak truth to power, right? There's so much dissension in your friend group and your family group because of the way that people believe in such opposite polar, opposite sometimes feels bipolar opposite. Like it's just, it's it's, insurmountable almost when it comes to trying to get through to someone, but what I've learned, no one wins in a shouting match. Nobody wins by you screaming at them. Nobody wins by a snide remark on a feed, on a social media page hear me I blew up at my kids on Friday night I came home and everything that was supposed to be done was not done at all and dude I I yelled and I was mad you never see me mad it's not pretty and then all my kids had meltdowns afterwards and Friday night stunk and it was a big hot mess but mostly not because they just disobeyed and didn't do something they were being teenagers and it was really my response and my tone that wrecked the evening Proverbs 15, 1, the gentle answer deflects anger. But harsh words make tempers flare. And boy, did I make tempers flare. See, we know the scripture. We don't always do the scripture, including your pastor, right? If you're raising teenagers, hallelujah. You need to memorize that thing and just repeat it, repeat it, versus going to jail, right? So when I think of prophecy, straight up you think I'm joking. I'm not. Listen. I think sometimes we think prophecy means confrontation. means having to get in somebody's face, right? And and listen, there's this element of yes, we have to identify and confront sin. That is our job. Not done in a judgmental kind of way, but you can point it out without being a jerk. Because isn't the ultimate goal winning that person into the kingdom of Jesus Christ? How are you gonna do that when you're screaming in someone's face? How are you gonna do that when you're cutting someone down and you never listen to the other side? We find ourselves in a tough place uh, as a nation. Like, the COVID crisis seems to have another stupid spike again. Like, is this thing ever going to go away? We're under tremendous unrest as it relates to, to pro-choice and pro-life. There's a gas crisis. I paid almost $5 a gallon yesterday. I almost threw up, and I was like, mm, tank, right? There's a baby formula crisis, and I'm, my wife, we had to choose formula. And I think if my babies were in this moment right now, I would be flipping out as a parent. There's a border crisis, it's nuts. And we're staring at an election in the face as primaries launch all over the place. But people aren't doing solutions at this point because there's an election they just point fingers and blame and scream at each other. A recent survey came out that said one third of Americans are suffering from depression or anxiety. 71% of Americans are angry and 66% of Americans are completely afraid. To all of that, I say this, those are some brutal facts, but we're going to confront the brutal facts with unwavering faith. There is still hope. God is still alive, and because our God sits on the throne, there is always hope. Always hope. Do not lose faith. At the end of his story, something is going to happen. Why? Because God's you. God's got you now. God's got you in the future. He's got you in the grip of his hand. And you are here on this earth for such a time as this. For such a place as this. And I, I, and I pray this prophetic anointing over you. That you and I, in our everyday walking around kind of life, where, wherever the Lord has positioned you in your work, in your family, in your friend circle, that you will provide supernatural solutions to problems all around you, just like Carver did. Listen, God's kingdom is going to come. His will is going to be done. Nothing's going to thwart the plan of God. Okay? There may be people in power right now who are like Belshazzar, who have an interest in partying like it's 1999. Right? Instead of looking around that someone's digging a hole under the wall, whatever it is, in your life, in our nation's world, in the world across the pond, that everything is being wrecked and nobody even talks about it anymore. We gotta pray to find some solution to current crisis. That even if these things remain, God's plan will not and cannot be stopped. His writing to us is complete. We know how the story ends. His writing is already on the wall, and we know who wins at the very end. It's his kingdom. And if you belong to that, you will always have hope. Look at verse 25 of how this thing ends. I'm going to wrap it up. You see Belshazzar, see the writing on the wall. Let me close the verses 25 through 30. So this is the inscription that was written, many, many, tekel, a parson. And here's what these words mean, many. He says to the king, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. See, he, got, huh, he had thought that he had 20 years of provision so he could just do whatever he wanted to do. And his time was up. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting, lacking. That's what that means missing something. A parson, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Meads and the person. Divided in half, cut in half that evening. Look at verse 29. The Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, verse 30, the king of the Chaldeans was slain. Look at that word tekel. It means weighed and found wanting. That means God put me up against his standard of holiness when I did not know him, when I was living my life in sin, trying to live my life for myself. And he looked at me and found me wanting, found me lacking. That's all of us. Romans three twenty three says, for everybody has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all miss the mark. So what do I do? Because I owe a debt that I cannot pay. Many, many tackle a parson. But I can do nothing. I cannot fix my sin problem. I cannot make myself holy. So the solution was not mine. It was his. God stepped in and stepped down. And he paid a debt he did not owe by giving up his one and only son. Second Corinthians 5.21 said, For God made Christ who never sinned, to be the offering for my sin, for your sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. You want to hear the gospel, plain and simple? God says, here, here's the deal on the table. You, Scott Hunter, I'm going to take all your sin, everything you've ever done wrong, everything that you've ever missed the mark on, and why don't we just transfer that to my account? And I'm going to pay it in full for you. And then I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to take my righteousness, my goodness, my holiness, and I'm just going to put that into your account, Scott. We'll just transfer that to at the same moment, and we're just going to call it even. Wait, what? Yeah. That is the good news of the gospel. We We got what we didn't deserve, and we escaped what we did deserve. Listen, on the cross, the last words that Jesus said, where it is finished, it is finished. It's in three words in English, but in the Greek it's one and it's an accounting term and it means paid in full, final installment. And I don't know where you're at on your spiritual journey, but there's a God who went to the cross who paid it full for you, for the penalty of your sin, wiped you clean, paid it in full. Why? Because we were all weighed And we were all found lacking. The writing is on the wall. For you that do not know him, do not let your story end badly. It does not have to be that way. God made a way for you too. He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through Him. That way is Jesus Christ. Because your story can end with hope your story can end with a beginning see not just new life now but the one that is to come when this physical life ends jesus said in john 5:24, i tell you the truth those who listen to my message and believe in god who sent me have eternal life they will never be condemned from their sins for they have already passed from death to life. Today you can be certain of your ending. You can be certain on how God sees you. If you accept Christ as your personal Savior, God sees his Son's righteousness in you, all over you, through you, and you will never be lacking holiness, anything. You will never be condemned for your sins. But you, my friend, will have already passed from death to life, if you would just surrender to him today. How will your story end? It's up to you. This has been another podcast of GenesisChurch.tv with Scott Hunter, lead pastor of Genesis Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Tune in each Sunday at 929 or 1101 on YouTube, Vimeo, Facebook, and live.GenesisChurch.tv or visit us in person at 4070 Mission Road here in Tallahassee. Catch us for weekly messages and midweek interviews and encouragement here on the GenesisChurch.tv podcast.